I love a good mystery, and so does everyone else. In fact, everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. I know that our listeners will absolutely love this game because you are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder, and you're becoming a detective. You're looking for clues, and each scene will lead you to a new thrilling storyline. This is a great way to engage your observation skills to uncover key pieces of information that lead you on to many chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Right now, I'm in the process of interviewing family members, and this is bringing me back, just so you know, to my days in law enforcement, and I'm having such a blast with it because it is so much more lighthearted, but it also has the mystery of where will this take me? You can even chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. Megan, I think we should join a detective club together. We've got this. (laughs) Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. On the evening of December 3rd, 2016, police received a report of an abandoned vehicle on a bridge in Belmar, New Jersey. It didn't take long for them to discover that the car belonged to 19-year-old Sarah Stern, but Sarah was nowhere to be found. The initial theory was that she had taken her own life. However, we would come to find out that something far more sinister had happened to Sarah, something no one could have predicted. This is episode 12, The Sarah Stern Story. Hi, Megan. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm really excited. We have our first supporter on Patreon. Who is it? We are grateful and would love to give a shout out and a thank you to Katie from Indy. Thank you, Katie. We really appreciate your support. And we hope you enjoy this episode. I'm happy to be back this week talking about a very interesting case that's very local to me. As usual, before we jump into the story, I just want to take a moment and talk about who Sarah Stern was. At the time of her death in 2016, Sarah was 19 years old. She lived with her father, Michael Stern, in Neptune City. Do you know where Neptune is? I do, actually. It's which very is close to me. It's only about 20 minutes from me. And actually, she attended Brookdale Community College, which is a community college I, too, attended. Right. I knew that. Okay. Yes. So she studied art and TV production after she graduated from Neptune High School two years prior. 
Sadly, Sarah's mother, Carla Stern, had passed away just four years earlier after a long battle with cancer. So it was just Sarah and her father, Michael. So by all accounts, Sarah was a great girl. She had a ton of friends, a lot of old friends. She lived in the community for a while, a very close-knit community. She was very athletic. She was on the varsity softball team, a member of the swim team, and overall just had a lot of friends, very social. So in the early morning hours of December 3rd, 2016, Neptune Township Police responded to a call from an Uber driver who reported a suspicious car on a shoulder on top of the Route 35 bridge in Belmar, New Jersey. I don't know if you know this bridge. I know it very well. It's over the Shark River. There are no sharks in that river, just so you know. It's just called that. That's weird, but okay. (laughs) So when police arrived, they discovered a 1994 silver four-door Oldsmobile. It was abandoned, but the keys were inside. So, of course, naturally, they're going to run the plates to see who the vehicle was registered to. That led them to a welfare check at the Stern household. So when the police reached the Stern home, the residence was unlocked and nobody was home. They entered the home. Actually, they were wearing body cams and you could see the body cam footage. Uh, 2020 and Dateline both showed it. You can find it online. It's pretty cool. Um, So initially, nothing seemed out of place. No one was home. The house was very cluttered, very lived in. People clearly had been there very recently, but nothing out of place. They did find her dog in a crate. And it's actually kind of cute because the officer, I I guess he forgot he's wearing a body cam and he's like doing baby talk to the dog. (laughs) And then he looks for a treat and he gives the dog a treat. It was very cute. Um, So anyway, so the police find nothing out of place. After talking to the neighbors, they quickly learned that Sarah Stern was, in fact, missing. And her family had no clue where she was. How long had she been missing for? Um, So basically what happened was her father, Michael, he was on a trip in Florida with his girlfriend. So the police, of course, contacted him. Do you know where Sarah is? Because at this point, they had neighbors at the house. The neighbors saw the police activity. Very close-knit community. Everyone involved. The father gets the phone call. He's in Florida. He immediately gets in the car, obviously, um, distraught and takes the long drive back from Florida, drives straight. So meanwhile, around 4 a.m., the car was towed off the bridge. Um, The police alerted the Belmar Water Rescue Team and they started searching Shark River under the assumption that Sarah may have jumped from the bridge. Why would they think that? Well, because they find an empty car on a bridge. That's what you think, right? Natural assumption. Yeah. So Sarah's family was very well known. As I mentioned, it was a very close-knit community. Word of her disappearance spread very fast. And very quickly, it became a missing persons case. In fact, one of the search guys was a close family friend of the Stern. So everyone kind of knew everyone. And before you know, they're rallying people. There was like 40 people at the Stern household, you know, in those early morning hours. So to add to the suicide theory, while they were at the house, the police spoke with the Stern's neighbor, Robin Draper. She was a very close family friend. She had two kids the same age as Sarah. They all grew up together on the street. She had informed police that Sarah had seemed a bit depressed lately, and that actual day she dropped off a bin of her belongings to the Draper household. Apparently, the Draper children, the ones that were friends with Sarah, had said she was talking about going to Canada. She wanted to move to Canada. She was like cleaning up some stuff. So around this time, police were also informed that Sarah had been with her close friend, Liam McAtasney. And of course, they wanted to talk to him. Because they knew that Liam and Sarah had hung out that day. Okay. So who is Liam anyway? So Liam and Sarah had known each other since grade schools. They were very close at times. They grew up together. They had volunteered together. And they just always seemed to be in each other's lives growing up. Not necessarily best friends, but just those fr- that old friend you've had for a while. Uh, in high school, they had grown apart a little. 
Liam was a little bit on the quieter side. She seemed a little more, maybe more popular and he kept a little more to himself. But they were in the general, uh, the same general friend group and they had hung out often. Okay. So the police still wearing their body cam, they go to knock on Liam's door. We're talking after 4 a.m. And Liam tells police that, yes, he did spend the day with Sarah. And then he stayed with her until he had to leave for work around 4.30 p.m. So he told police that she had been trying to get away and that she wanted to run off to Canada. Is there a reason why? Are you going to get to that? Uh, why she wanted to go yeah, to Canada? Yeah, why she wanted to go to Canada. Um, she had attended, she was really into like YouTube stars and she attended like some festival, one of these icons that had all these YouTube stars and it was in Toronto and apparently after she returned, she just loved it. Understood. Um, Liam also tells police that Sarah and her father had a volatile relationship and that Michael was quote unquote crazy. Michael being her father. Yeah, he gave the impression that he and Sarah were the best of friends. He actually had Sarah listed as his sister on Facebook. According to him, they were very close. The next day, they brought Liam back in for questioning because after all, he was the last one seen with a missing girl. So, of course, they want to talk to this guy, right? Yeah, of course. He was very cooperative, very forthcoming at times, you know, very teary. There's a ton of video from this case. We have the body cams on the police, all the interrogations. You can see all this stuff. Oh, this is great because we like to encourage people to go ahead and look for themselves. Yes, they could see all this stuff. So in, you know, in the footage, he gets teary at times, wipes his eyes at times. His story was corroborated by a Taco Bell camera because they had gone to Taco Bell. And he was also seen going to work at five o'clock, just like he said. So the police had no reason not to believe him. He was very forthcoming, as I said, and his story lined up exactly with all this footage they were able to find. Okay. He still kept talking to the police about how she wanted to go to Canada. He also told police that she was suicidal. I just want to point out that the Canada thing didn't really make sense because the police found her passport when they were in her house. And they also found lots of cash, both Canadian and American cash. And also the fact that her dog was left behind. And everyone that knew Sarah knew that the, her dog was her obsession. She loved her dog and she would not have left him if she was going to flee. Well, even, uh, I'm sorry, but the car on the bridge doesn't quite fit with the Canadian Exactly. How would either. she get there? You're absolutely right. right. How would she have gotten there? Right. So none of it's quite fitting. Yeah. So at some point, Liam's parents got him an attorney and he stopped talking as most people do. Right. So they decided to bring in his roommate and close friend, Preston Taylor. Well, Preston also knew Sarah. Actually, Liam was the one who introduced Sarah and Preston. Sarah and Preston had actually gone together to Preston's junior prom. They were not romantically involved, just very good friends. Okay. So after graduating, the three of them, Preston, Liam, and Sarah, stayed local. As I mentioned, she went to Brookdale Community College, and a lot of their friends went away. So the three of them started a little more. His story was consistent with Liam's. He had told police that she was suicidal and that he, too, believed that she had jumped off the bridge. He also, in his, you, you could see in his video, he also teared up a bit. Police quickly called bullshit on him, and they kind of felt like he was hiding something. They didn't necessarily think he was involved, but just that he knew something more. They actually believed that Liam and Preston may have been covering for her, that maybe Sarah had left and said, you know, don't tell anyone. I don't want to be found. Right? So something else interesting to note about the investigation at this time Police had soon discovered that Sarah had gone to her bank the afternoon prior to her disappearance and she had accessed her safety deposit box. So naturally, the police got a warrant and they wanted to see what was in that box and they found $25,000 in cash. Whoa. Yeah. Interesting. Part of that is the cash was very old and falling apart. It was almost like disintegrating. Wow. So this will was, come into play. Right. Maybe that was cash left to her by her mother or, you know, yeah. someone. Oh, so smart, Megan. Oh, sorry. Okay. 
So this could have lent evidence to support the theory that Sarah did not go to Canada because the police said if she went to Canada, she would have taken the money with her. Not if it was crumbling in her pocket. Well, but... that's true, too. <laughs> no, I'm But I'm it actually just brought up more questions. Why would a 19-year-old girl have all this cash? Yeah. That's what they wanted to know. Yeah. So they spoke to, of course, some of Sarah's friends and family, and the police were able to get some answers. Apparently, she had come across a large sum of money. So her parents owned a second home in a town close to Neptune called Avon. And I guess Sarah was going through the house and she had found a load of cash. Some friends say that Sarah told them it was 50000 or even 100000 Her father had no clue about this cash, he said. He had wow. no idea. Apparently, her mother had stashed it away for Sarah before she died. And Sarah came across it. Wow. Yeah. The father said, although he didn't know about the cash, he wasn't surprised. I guess his late wife was someone who maybe didn't trust banks or was a bit of a hoarder. So... We're anyway, a planner. Yeah. So why is this even relevant? Could this lead to a, a possible motive? There's a lot of cash now. And also, if there was 100000 where's the other 75000 So maybe Sarah did flee. Maybe she took 75000 with her, right? Could I'm this not money, buying it. Yeah. Could this money have played a role in her disappearance? So the police finally felt like they were maybe on to something. Something was, something was fishy, right? Okay. So meanwhile, while the police are gathering this evidence, talking to people, the investigation continues. Hundreds of family and friends, including her good friends Liam and Preston, were performing civilian search parties. I even read somewhere that her search parties were the largest in the history of the Jersey Shore. She had a lot of people rallying oh. for her. I'm sorry, what year was this again, Amy? Do you recall? 2016. Okay. Yep. So very recent. Okay. Yep. So her body was not recovered. All this, you know, all the searching did not yield anything at all. At such, at some point, you know, the searches started dwindling as they do. And it would be almost two months before the police would get their, I guess you could say their smoking gun or their lead. Okay, so remember I mentioned Neptune City is a small town, right? Oh, yes. Everyone knew everyone. So one of the detectives on the case got a call from one of his good friends who said that his son... Anthony Curry had some crucial information. Anthony Curry was an aspiring horror film director who now lived in Brooklyn, but had grown up with Liam, Preston, Sarah, and had gone to Neptune High School with the other kids. Now all of a sudden this case sounds familiar. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, just I'm a horror movie buff and I'm like, I remember uh, something about this yeah. now. This might not, there's other one that sounds similar to this oh, though, okay. but I'm curious. You'll have to let me know. Okay. So Anthony claimed that a few weeks prior to Sarah's disappearance, Liam told him about an idea for a movie. And the idea was to strangle Sarah and throw her over a bridge. Wow. So Anthony says at the time he did not give it much thought, which I think, wait, what? How do you not give that much thought? Did he mean acting maybe? Well, for fake? Well, he claimed that Liam would often run ideas by him because Anthony was, you know, an aspiring horror film director. Right. So he says, you know, he would always share crazy ideas for movies. So I really did not think much of it. Okay. However, once I saw that Sarah had gone missing, all of a sudden I got freaked out and started thinking, well, maybe Liam was responsible. Not only did that occur to him, around the same time, Liam had messaged him and said, have the police come to talk to you about Sarah's disappearance. Oh, boy. Red flags going up. So here. lots of red flags. Yeah, going I'm going to I'm going to say yes. And, you know, you said that he he said the movie plot would be strangling her and throwing her off a bridge and then her cars, you know, on a bridge. It sounded though. familiar to him. Yeah. Right? Um, so the police believed Anthony and found him credible pretty much off the bat. I guess some of it might have had to do with the fact that Anthony's father was good friends with the detective. So that lent some credibility. 
Plus, when people, what's the motive for him to come forward and offer this type of information? Yeah. Unless it's, you know, because he's involved and he's trying to put someone else out. Exactly. You know? So as you could imagine, the police started working closely with Anthony because they figured they would work with Anthony to get Liam to talk. Right. So a little sting operation was kind of brewing. Okay. So they started by recording phone conversations. They were monitoring his phone. He was talking to Liam a lot on Snapchat and on Messenger. And basically, the way this started was Anthony asked Liam to borrow money. Anthony said, hey, do you have any of that money left over? So Anthony almost acted as if like, I know what you did. So I'm wondering, do you have money? And he was, you know, Liam's responses were, I have some. uh, And Anthony said, can I borrow some? Because my camera fell in a bucket of blood during one of my filmings, which is so bizarre. But that's neither here nor there. Well, he's a horror movie director. I guess. But like, it just seemed pretty elaborate. But anyway, so Liam said, I can't talk like that. You know, Liam pretty much alluded to the fact like, I'm not stupid. I'm not talking over, you know, the phone or over Snapchat. Right. Did he? So he caught on. Well, Liam said he'd be happy to meet up with him. Okay. So now we have the full-blown sting operation set up. The police set up Anthony's car with hidden mics and cameras. Very luckily, they did not set Anthony up with a wire because the first thing Liam does when he gets in the car is feels up his friend Anthony. I think that's probably like they anticipate that now, so they have to get around that. Yeah, but it was like watching it in real time, these police officers. So the police officers were staked out all over. There were like tons of them all around because they had to worry for Anthony's safety. They don't know what could happen here. Did they meet at like a beach or a park or something? Yes. I think I do did. know this case. Okay. I really do. I mean, it was 2020 Dateline. It was, right. it was pretty, I right. mean, it's not far from here. So no. So yeah, it was um, like a beach town, but during the winter time, it was pretty desolate. So you have these officers staked out. They see Liam get in the car and they see him say, do you have a wire and like feeling him up? And they were just like, holy shit, this is crazy, right? So what does Liam do? Well, this idiot fully confesses to the crime you're kidding (laughs) no you can see it online and it was a huge part of trial and he pretty much brags about what he did and gives a very detailed account of the whole entire crime so liam says he was with sarah actually when she went to the bank he was waiting outside and he convinced sarah sarah had told him about the money they were good friends right and he convinced Sarah, like, oh, you should probably have some of that money in the house. You should take some for Canada or whatever. You shouldn't have it in the safe deposit box. So Sarah goes to the bank with Liam. They get the money out and they go back to her house. They go to Taco Bell at some point. According to him, she had turned away for a moment and he, quote unquote, choked her out, dragged her and hung her by her throat. What? Yep. What do you mean hung her by her throat? Like picture someone picking up, you know, and he wasn't a, that big of a guy. But oh, he, holding her by he was, her throat sorry. up in the air, you yeah, mean. Quote, as he says, quote unquote, choking her out. He probably, I'm thinking he put her up against the wall or something, right? I see. He had set a timer because he wanted to see how long it would take her to die. You're and, kidding. And actually, when the police eventually do get his phone, they do see this timer and turned out it took her a little over a half hour to succumb. Half an hour? Yeah, because what he did was he stuffed a shirt down her throat and he <gasps> held her nose. And apparently she screamed out his name. It took it took quite a while, unfortunately, for her to pass. And as Liam tells Anthony, the dog was watching the whole thing and did absolutely nothing. And Liam says this almost in a way like that dumb dog saw the whole thing and did nothing. And it was just like, he was just so, the way he was telling the story, it was just, he's such a cold, callous 
A sociopath, I mean, really. I was going to say clear sociopath right now. All I want to know in mm-hmm. a few minutes is whether or not yeah. there were flags of yeah. this kind of behavior. So he literally had no emotion. He sounded proud. Again, he was bragging about it. And he premeditated it. Oh, for sure. Actually, um, we'll come to find out, for about six months he was planning this. He tells Anthony how disappointed he was because he only got $10,000 and the money was old. Remember the money being old? Oh, yeah. So that old money, all of a sudden the police, their ears go, because of course they don't know what's going on here. And they're like, oh, the money's old. So was the money in that safe deposit box. How often do you hear that money's disintegrating in your hands, right? No, he's just given a um, key yep. like, piece of information uh-huh. that no one but the killer, you know, exactly. someone else wouldn't know. Yep. So he says he was expecting at least 50000 up to 100000 Again, that goes back to the fact that Sarah was telling people that's how much she had. So he says after he killed her, he left her body there and he went straight to work at Brennan's Steakhouse. And then, to everyone's surprise, he talks about enlisting the help of a good friend. Oh, what's his name? Preston. What's the other one's name? Preston. Remember Preston. I do. I just couldn't think yeah, of his name. So while Liam was at work, Preston went to the Stern home. So what was Preston's point? Well, number one, Liam said, can you look for my phone? I can't find my phone. I think I left it there. So <laughs> Preston goes to the Stern household. And they both, of course, knew that Michael Stern was away. So they knew that, you know, the house was just Sarah. So he goes to look for the phone. He also moves Sarah's dead body from inside the house to outside under a bush. It is unclear why they did this. Uh, It could be that they wanted to make it easier to get the body because what they end up doing is when Liam got off of work, this was all planned out. Liam gets off of work. He met Preston at the Stern household. They both loaded Sarah into the car. They put Sarah in the front seat of her own car, buckled in, to make it appear as though she was just a sleeping passenger, while Liam drove her car to the bridge and Preston followed. So Preston was in on the plan before the murder as well? It sounds like it. It's funny you say that because I I tried really hard to, because I believed so, but I was really looking for more information. But it sounds like, yes, this was very much planned. It sounds like he knew uh, ahead of time that he was going to Yeah, well, he was also promised some of the money, too. He was going to be splitting the money. So when they got to the bridge, the plan was for Liam to throw her over. He did not realize how heavy she would be. Again, his own words. So he needed to get some help from his buddy Preston. They helped and they threw Sarah over the bridge into the Shark River. So before this conversation ended, Liam, make sure to tell Anthony, you better not tell anyone because Preston will kill you. Okay. Yeah, I got to add a little threat in there at the end. Right? Yeah. The police are listening in real time, and they are shocked. He must have been dumbfounded, like, what kind of idiot just confesses? I mean, it it does happen, you know, but you're suspicious already. You're heightened alert, Mm -hmm. right? You're checking for wires. And then all of a sudden, you just unload the entire confession because he wanted, you know why? He's actually not an idiot. I mean, yes. A little bit. Yeah. No, he's an idiot. Sorry. But he wanted to brag. I mean, he Well, he was because he also, apparently, he was always trying to impress Anthony. Like, there was some history of their friendship with Anthony was like the cool, like, director who moved to Brooklyn to pursue his film career and he was like always trying to be cool poor Anthony can you imagine sitting in the car with someone that you know is a killer you know is a killer and you know that he can find out at any minute that you have cameras and like it's scary no I'm sure the police had concerns too about that's why they had tons I think they said like half a dozen or a dozen cars so of course the police still needed proof that Sarah was dead though they couldn't just go off the word of this right because they never recovered a body so the next thing they do is they bring in, who do you think they bring in? The FBI? No, Preston. Duh. Oh. Yes, because 
press oh, bring in for questioning. Yes, I'm sorry. sorry. Okay, got no, it. Got that it, got was it. my bad. I set you up for failure. Okay, <laughs> so they bring in Preston, and the first thing they say to Preston is, "Hey, we know that Liam killed Sarah." Preston he cracks quickly. Preston tells them everything <laughs> because Preston, you know, interestingly, the police could have said that, and it could have not been true, right? Yeah, we the know. police lie to suspects. So I was, I was thinking as I'm watching that, I'm like, "Oh, Preston, you <laughs> <laughs> came up so quickly, right?" So Preston corroborates the same story Liam told Anthony, Preston pretty much tells. So now the police are feeling like, all right, we got enough here now, right? Preston also led detectives to two areas where they had buried safes with the stolen money. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. So clearly, if this is true and that money's there, we got something. So the police go, they dig up the safes. The bills match the bills that were found at the bank in Sarah's safe deposit box. And as you could imagine, they probably have enough to arrest Liam. But Preston also went to the Stern home. And this is all on footage again. You can watch it on the cams. Preston shows them exactly what we did, where we did it, and how it was done. He also takes them to the bridge and walks through everything. Okay, so why would Preston do this? Oh, they're going to give him (laughs) less time. It's a plea. Preston got himself a nice little plea deal. Okay. Preston pled guilty to robbery conspiracy, desecration of human remains, hindering apprehension, and the prosecution was seeking 15 years. Oh, wow. The judge raised it. Very rare. Very rare. Very rare. The judge decided 15 wasn't enough, and good old Preston ended up with 18 years for his role in Sarah Stern's death. I'm glad very, to hear that. Yeah, very quickly, um, there was a bid to reduce the sentence, but very just as quickly as that came in, that was denied. The judge was not having that. Yeah, when a plea takes place too, a plea you know, is an agreement between a prosecutor and a defense attorney, mm-hmm. but it is not binding on nope. the court. It is an agreement between the two of them, but the court can override a yeah, plea. Very rarely does a judge override it. And of course, he didn't override it a ton, right? We went from 15 to 18, but... You know, it's still appropriately so appropriately. So I have questions, but Um, I'm sure you're going to go on. Okay, yeah. Save your questions because we're almost done here. Okay. so of course, they had enough evidence to arrest and charge Liam for the murder of Sarah Stern. You want to hear something? (laughs) So when they arrested Liam, of course, they search you. They took his keys and guess what was on his keychain? Blood? No, the key to the safe. Oh, my God. (laughs) Come on, Liam. Right? So (laughs) that was just more evidence. They're like, okay. Amateurs. Right? Although the prosecution basically had a full-blown confession on tape and they had Preston's testimony, they didn't have a body. So it makes it a little difficult to try. And of course, the defense was, you know, going to capitalize on the fact that there's no body. The defense was ready to use the tactic like Sarah could walk into this courtroom at any moment, right? So during trial, though, they did have a powerful moment when they had an expert who testified to the water currents and other characteristics on the night in question. And he claimed that if Sarah's body was, in fact, thrown into the Shark River, it would have taken less than 24 hours for her body to be seven miles offshore, right into the Atlantic. So in other words, it's very likely that her body would, in fact, never be recovered. So during the trial, they played, of course, the confession video. Preston testified, and then we have all these little other things. There was surveillance camera from a neighbor's house, um, that key. There's all these other things. Not surprisingly at all, on February 26th, 2019, not long ago, Liam was found guilty of murder, felony murder, robbery, desecration of human remains, tampering with evidence, and hindering apprehension. 
and he was sentenced to life without parole plus 10 years. In May, this past May, the defense attorney argued for a new trial because during the trial, there was a juror that had posted on Facebook, LMAO. Do you know what LMAO stands for? Laughing my ass off. Laughing my ass off. And this uh, basically this juror, I guess, had taken a picture or said something about like sitting in court laughing my ass off or something. So not surprisingly, she was removed from the jury. And so was another person who I guess was friendly with her. They were removed. Um, so the defense is saying it should have been a mistrial? Yeah, but the judge was like, nope, not at all. Okay. There were a few other grounds that they were trying to argue for a new trial, as I was saying, very shortly after the sentencing, but they were all rejected as they should have been. So that was probably on direct appeal, right? Correct. Okay. So unfortunately, though, to this day, no body has ever been recovered. There right. is a large memorial on that bridge. Her 22nd birthday would have been March 24th, 2019. So on her birthday, there was a big celebration by family and friends. I actually passed the memorial um, quite often. There's also a Sarah Stern Scholarship Fund that has been set up in her memory. Um, It's really for budding artists who are graduating from Neptune High School. So that pretty much ends. But I have a few things I wanted to, you know, I want to talk about what, you know, the motive here. Why did this happen? And also the sentencing. But you can go first and then I'll dive into some of my things. Wait, no. Okay, so the sentencing, sorry, was life plus 10 years. Life plus 10 for Liam. Preston will be out when he is just 40 years old. He has a whole life ahead of him. What do you think about that? I'm not sure yet. I need more information and then I'm going to have an answer. So one of the things I feel like I need to know before we go any further is... Did these two have any background of like conduct disorder or crimes in their, like, was there anything in their history, previous record that you could find? No, I mean, there's some. These weren't bad yeah, kids. No, I there's guess, some reports the that like, you know, marijuana, you know, some stuff like that. They were both in college. They were both, you know, working. They were living on their own, but they were working to pay for their life. You know, they were, they seemed like your average like party boys. I mean, Liam, before he got caught, he spent most of his money on throwing parties and on marijuana. You know, that's what he did with the money he recovered from this crime. But nothing that would have led you to believe that these boys were headed down this path. Interesting, because then I'm, I mean, uh, from what you've told me, I'm going to say Liam's definitely a sociopath. I'm not sure if I could say Preston is or just the follower who got caught up and convinced by the leader. Yeah. If you don't mind, I'm just going to interject right there. Something to add uh, credence to the theory that he's a sociopath. He did also tell Anthony that he thought it would change him more. He thought, you know, when you kill someone, I thought it would change me more than it did. Like he was so unaffected by it. I think he was. And he said, you know, you only live once. You should do something exciting with your life or something to that nature. Okay, So so he lacks classic signs of of psychopathy, really. Lack of emotion, lack Mm -hmm. of affect. He needed more to be stimulated. There's no stimulus. There's no emotional response. So and that didn't really stimulate him much. So he's got basically he's saying, yeah, I think he's what we'd call a narcopath. Have you heard about a narcopath? I have. It's heard like it, a newer term now that um, they're replacing. And sociopath? Yeah, they're replacing. Yeah. You know, psychopath, sociopath are interchangeable, unclear what means what. So it seems like narcopath is having I've, a moment. I've gone through. So in my serial killer class, I go through sociopathology versus psychopathy, and it's actually debated in the field. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are used interchangeably, but there's a scale. You know, the hair scale. Mm-hmm. I think we've talked about it that measures it. Mm-hmm. And sociopaths just rate a little bit lower on the scale than psychopaths. Yep. 
And one of the prosecutors, and when she was being interviewed, she was saying she doesn't believe the motive was money. She believes he just wanted to kill. I was and just money was to, just like, yeah, I might as well kill someone that I can get something else out of it. I just, I was going to add that. I was going to say I don't believe for one yep. second that money was the motivator. I think that was like ancillary. It was yep, just like. You're absolutely right. You know. I, I mean, who knows if you're right, but I, I tend to agree with you on that because it was it was clear to me that he wanted that thrill. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. He mm-hmm. definitely wanted it. I also want to point out that it is definitely harder to prosecute without a body. We know Mm -hmm. that. But oftentimes it has to be done now. Mm -hmm. And in court, of course, the defense will always come in and say, but there's no body. They could walk through the door. Mm -hmm. Usually it's the job of the prosecution then to show that there has been a lack of activity that would indicate someone was alive. So, you know, there's no credit cards being used. There's no social security And of course, they did bring that all up as well. Okay. And the fact that her passport and the money... That pretty much shoots down the idea that she fled the country. Right. Right. And, um, you know, the fact that one of her friends was messaging her every day and said, make a fake account. Just let me know you're alive out there. You know, and it was just clear. Plus, when they brought that oceanographer in and he talked about the tides. I was going to ask you if that was done. And when you said it, I was like, OK, that we yeah. clearly explain it. But yeah. so, yeah. So the prosecutor did their job and they brought in the right people to show that mm-hmm. it is way, way unlikely that oh, yeah. Sarah Storm is still alive. You would, you would know something yep, by her. Exactly. Also wanted to ask, when they went to her house where she lived with her father, did they find evidence of a crime there? Like, did they find no. any blood spat or de- nothing? Isn't that interesting? They found nothing. Right. Well, if she didn't bleed, I don't know. Usually you can see uh, something. So, uh, unfortunately, she did, according to Liam, she did vomit and urinate during this. So... Maybe he had cleaned it up. There was nothing. There was no information that I came across that talked about any of that. Um, like I mentioned, when the police went to the house, like if you live in a really neat house and there's a struggle, you would notice their house was very cluttered. There was stuff right. everywhere. So you did say that. You okay. would, it would be hard, I think, at least from what I noticed in the body cam. To me, there's no way you'd be able to notice because, again, there, like you said, there's no stabbing, no shooting. Right, so um, there's no blood, and so luminol's not going to let up, and then there's exactly. no obvious signs of a struggle when you have exactly. a house that's somewhat And there was n- it wasn't broken in, that it was unlocked. Do you know what her, uh, uh, did you find any information about her father's take on any of this, or anything he might have, did he speak at sentencing, or anything, Well, you he know? knew the boys right. from when that's, they were young, that's and what I'm he, thinking. you know, he was, of course, shocked. It was his only child. He had just lost his wife. Oh my gosh, I can't I'm, even imagine I was happy to hear that through. at least he was in a relationship, so he had some support, and Sarah was actually very close to this woman as well that his father was dating. It was a serious relationship. The father was, he's beside himself. He does tons of interviews and you just, your heart breaks for him. Okay. Yeah. My heart definitely goes out to him. I can't imagine. Yeah. Uh, as far as you had asked me what my thoughts were on Preston. Oh, yes. Probably wouldn't be able to come to like a total informed conclusion. I'm going to say, I'm glad the judge went above. I probably would have gone a little higher. Mm-hmm. 18 years may or may not be appropriate given I don't know what his I would need to know what also like his intelligence level is you know what I mean so he's very smart oh Preston was very well spoken oh okay because I was gonna say if he was on the lower IQ and convinced by no okay so this is a smart kid it's a smart kid I see more remorse in him then again we know you can't judge looking at someone on you know you can't judge it but something about him I don't know I get a chill looking at Liam but Preston doesn't strike me as like a sociopath or, you know. Do you think Preston just met the wrong guy? Like if Preston Maybe. had met if Preston had met a person who was a better, you know, yeah, his, kind of acumen, would he, it might have gone the other way yeah, for him. Yeah, I think his problem was he was very impressionable. And he probably, Liam was probably the cooler kid in their friendship, right? He looked up to Liam maybe and 
went along with it. But, you know, the fact that he told the police is great. But at the same time, like, how cold must you be to be able to move a dead body and throw it over a bridge? I'm shocked that these two are friends. I mean, I'm shocked. And I guess I was trying to figure out, is it birds of a feather flock together or there's the one influence? I would still have to guess that Liam was the obvious influencer. Yeah. And Liam, had he not meant Sarah, obviously, or it would have been someone else. I agree. I don't think Preston would have gotten involved in something else. I think Liam would have. You know, I have to say that this reminds me a lot of Roper v. Simmons, the case where uh, Christopher Simmons, 17-year-old, this is the case, 17-year-old Christopher Simmons was a sociopath and recruited two friends to help him abduct a woman from her home. And they basically abducted her, tied her up and threw her over a bridge. And Simmons said he just wanted to see someone die. He was cold and calculated. Unfortunately, it's the case that also made it illegal to execute juveniles, Yeah, which I don't agree with executing juveniles, but yeah. it's not the case you want yeah, to see yeah, that yeah, happen of course. for. But it reminds me of the same idea. And I remember reading it going, he had two friends that he recruited, mm-hmm. but one of them backed down. It was kind of like, what am I doing? You know, yeah. why would I go along with this? And the other one sort of helped, didn't quite do as much. But Do you was, remember what his sentence was by any chance? He got something serious. Yeah, it was yeah. much more serious. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember it was, it, you know, he wasn't up for the death penalty. Yeah. So, but I thought it was odd as well. Like, how do you find two friends that are willing to throw a woman off of a bridge yeah. in what world? So, yeah. Okay. I don't have two friends that would do that. I, I hope not. <laughs> do you do you think before, because I'm not sure, I think Preston's sentence is somewhat appropriate, but not uh, not harsh enough, certainly. I don't think he deserved life for his yeah. role, probably, mm-hmm. but I would have gone with 20 to 25. I also, I would have been happier if they said like 18 to life or 18 to something, okay. because I would want to know, I want to reevaluate him and feel comfortable with the fact that he's remorseful and rehabilitated and... Actually, I think that's the right call. The problem with having a determinant sentence is he can, if he says the morning of, you know, his 18th, the 18th day one of 18th year, and he says, I can't wait to get out and kill people. They can't keep him. He maxed out. That's it. Unless they try to civilly commit him, but they usually only use that for sexual predators. So Uh, you're right. And it's not. So that scares me a little bit. I don't think anyone's stupid enough to say that because then the police are going to be on you. But I think you could say that. I think we just have to hope that 18 years will actually serve and to rehabilitate him. And yeah. as, a, as an older man, we know people age out of crime. He's not going to be old. He's going to be like 40. He said older, <laughs> older than 18, but or 19. I, know. Uh, I agree. It's very young to get out, but I'm going to hope that the system worked in this mm-hmm. case. Yep. All right. Well, thank you, Megan. All right. Thank you so much, Amy. We'll see you all next time. Women in Crime is written and hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer and editor is James Varga. Our music is composed by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, you can get access to ad-free episodes, exclusive AMAs, and other bonus content for a small monthly contribution through Patreon. To find out more, visit patreon.com slash womenincrime. Sources for today's episode includes Dateline, 2020, ABC News, and NJ.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. 
With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.